men. And uh, I wonder if um, uh, okay, up ah, down here. That's what I'm looking for. So would uh, would Enley and uh, Serena please, if they're if they're in from changing yet, that may not be. Is Enley? She just getting her hair done? Oh no, she's here. <laughs> so. We'll go in the order of um, of, uh, of the testimonies. And so, uh, Enley, we've got here, um, it says certificate of baptism on it. Now, you might think this is a little bit strange, but I almost said to my wife, you need to put death certificate on the top. Okay? Now, why do you think we would say that? I'm going to explain that in just a moment. Because in a sense, that's what this is really all about. But Enli, I'd like to present this to you. This is a, a, a certificate of uh, your day of baptism. And we have a prayer here that we would like you to perhaps put in your room. And we've also got the most valuable thing in the entire universe to give to her. And uh, here it is. Okay? So it's an NKJV study Bible for kids. And I want you to treasure that and look after it. And maybe you can keep it, you don't have to use it all your life, but keep it somewhere safe, and it will be a treasure to be able to do that. The Word of God is the most valuable thing. And then there's a little notebook for uh, keeping notes for messages and sermons and church as well. And Serena, we've got the same uh, certificate for you and, um, and a prayer. So there we go. That's uh, for you. And then we've also got, uh, now you've got a Bible. <laughs> so uh, we've got you uh, this book, which is... Um, uh, I hope it will be a blessing for you and uh, take that one on there. So again, we thank you and the Lord bless you. So uh, um, uh, there we go. Okay, thank you. Take care. Right. So I mentioned earlier that uh, the um, message that we're talking about uh, this morning after the baptisms that have taken place is entitled Dying to Live. And I'm hoping that Elaine, while we were out getting ourselves changed, was able to read from um, uh, Romans chapter 6, verses 1 to 10, although I regret I should have asked him to read verse 11, but I can uh, carry that in and add that for you if he didn't do that. So why would we talk about the word dying and living in the same uh, sentence or in the same few words? Well, it's very strange that uh, quite often these words are seen together. So when we uh, look at nature, for example, and uh, if anybody can tell me, uh, this big tree in the middle, you see the, uh, the girl stood beside it at the bottom. That just gives you an idea of just how vast it is. And that's a small sequoia tree, okay? There are apparently some that they've cut a hole and you can drive a car through the middle of it. They are colossal and they only grow in a very small part of California. It's about 260 uh, mile stretch and that's the only place in the world that you get these trees. Now interestingly enough, um, they can live for 3,000 years and um, uh, there's one of them which is uh, a, a huge tree and they, they've been able to work out it's at least 2,100 years old and it's still doing really well. Now the biggest tree, 379, this is now 379 feet in height. I want you to imagine that for a moment. 300, I mean, it's almost the height that a Boeing 777 flies at. It's ridiculous. Could you imagine building a tree camp in a tree like that? Okay, it would be uh, awesome. Who said awesome? It, it, you wouldn't catch me going up there, but you're right. It would be it would be awesome. They are officially the largest living organism on the earth. But here's the thing. 
without destruction, without fire, these trees can't reproduce. They require fire to come and to burn the forest. Some of them end up being burnt and destroyed in it. But the fire is required for the sequoia seeds to be able to grow. Isn't that amazing? So out of death comes life. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. And I hope that uh, it will indeed be a blessing as we do this. Now in the text that uh, we were able to read together, uh, the word no is a word that appears um, quite often. In fact, the whole of that uh, section of, uh, of Scripture we discover, and in many other places in Scripture, the word know or knowledge or to understand appears very clearly. And I think one of the sad things today is that people seem to have the idea that the Christian life is something that you uh, perhaps do like at your baptism, and that's it. Well, you know, best will in the world, I want a lot more than that. <laughs> Absolutely. And when I use those words, I want, I mean it. Because at the end of the day, what we're talking about is something which is utterly, utterly incredible. So when we come to our lives in uh, schooling, uh, perhaps homeschooling, or if you go to a Christian school or to the state school, you discover that you need to learn things. Knowledge is important. Knowledge is important for everybody. But when it comes to us as our, in our Christian life, we discover that knowledge, knowledge about God, knowledge about the Lord Jesus, knowledge about the Bible is also very, very important. And the scriptures that we've read together speak about it clearly. Paul wants us to understand a key doctrine here. And that doctrine that he wants us to understand is that Christian living depends on Christian learning. Of course, it depends on the Holy Spirit working within us. It depends on our coming to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But for us to grow in our Christian life, uh, for Enli and for Serena to grow in their Christian lives, they also need to gain knowledge about God. They need to gain knowledge about God's Word. They need to gain knowledge about all that Jesus Christ has done for them. All that God has done for them through Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit comes alongside, lives within us, and enables us to start learning. Now, of course, sometimes people don't want to learn. And these people are sad people because who doesn't want to learn more about God? Who doesn't want to learn what God has done for us? Who doesn't want to learn everything that he has provided for us in our lives? And so we discover very clearly that learning does help us in our Christian life. Now, one of the things that Satan loves to try and do he comes along and he says, you don't have to read God's word. You don't have to learn all the, all the stuff in the Bible. And Enli particularly, you know, you're young. There'll be times when somebody will say something to you, perhaps a, a friend who's not a Christian. And they say, oh, come on, Enli, let's go off and do something else. Why are you so worried about going to church? Sunday's a great day. We can go off and do other things. And, and Serena, too, you will find that people in your life will also come along and say, you don't really believe all that, do you? What, you don't believe you came from monkeys? Okay. Well, I mean, if you want to swing around in a tree, <laughs> um, what can I say? But there are times when we're put under pressure, and so we discover that if Satan can keep us ignorant as Christians, then he stops us reproducing in terms of sharing the gospel with people around us. Because if we don't believe what we've been taught, if we don't believe what's happened in our lives, then the thing is that we've got no passion in what we're 
proclaiming to other people. We have no desire to go out of our way to explain the gospel with others around us. And when we see people who are struggling in their lives, we recognize that we have the answer, and the answer is found in Jesus. And yet, if we don't have that passion, we're not going to be able to do that. So you see, Satan wants us to remain ignorant. He doesn't want us to be people who learn, people who discover more about God. In Romans chapter 6, Paul wants us to understand that as Christians, we are identified with Jesus Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. And of course, that's the message that we have in the baptismal tank that we have uh, been able to demonstrate. As Enli and Serena were placed under the water, we are able to see a vision of Calvary. We're able to see exactly what Jesus did for us. Now, in our baptismal classes, and if anybody wants to join us with me, you'll have to wait for three months till we're back. But David would be very, very happy if there's somebody who believes the Lord is leading you to be baptized, then talk to him. He will meet with you. Uh, We have uh, a, a booklet that we can work through together, and he will be delighted to explain what it all means, what the ins and outs are. And of course, uh, you'd be welcome to be baptized. It doesn't depend on me. We believe in the priesthood of all believers, and so it's a joy to be able to do that. But the issue is that uh, Paul is saying that you're to be identified with Christ. And that's exactly what Enli and what Serena have done this morning. They have clearly identified themselves as belonging to the Lord Jesus Christ. But of course, we go back into the scriptures, and uh, I think uh, uh, um, uh, Elaine read as well as the Lord Jesus was on the bank of the Jordan, and John the Baptist sees him coming, and Jesus says, you're going to baptize me. And of course, John's immediate reaction is, no, 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 that can't happen. But you see, don't you understand how wonderful that section of scripture is because the Lord Jesus identified himself with me. He identified himself with little Enli. He identified himself with with Serena. And for each and every one of us who have been baptized as, as we have seen today. And so I'll often say, you know, sometimes you can think, I just want you to imagine that you stood in the River Jordan and you can feel the gravel under your feet between your toes and Jesus stood there and he felt the gravel under his feet and he stood in your place so that you could stand with him and so that's one of the beauties of baptism is that it's something Jesus did it's something he commands us to do and it's something that we can say this is what Jesus did and it brings joy to our hearts and to our lives very, very clearly. So there is this identification that takes place. But we need to get back. As a Christian, we're now identified with Christ in righteousness and justification. Now in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, so a couple of chapters earlier, uh, Paul made a uh, transition between discussing sins. Now, has anyone committed any sin this morning? We don't want to put hands up. I just want you to think about this for a moment. Perhaps you got a little bit stressy with the guy who was watching where you parked your car outside and you thought, I'm, I don't want to walk the one minute, 30 seconds that it takes from the car park to the church. And maybe you got a little bit stressed about that and perhaps you thought, you know, this isn't what you should be doing. But sins are things that come up in our lives. 
Paul makes this transition. And in verse 12 of chapter 5, he says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, singular, and thus death spread to all men, because all sinned. He makes the transition from sins committed to sin. Sin is a problem that affects all of us. And what he's doing is he's moving from talking about actions to talking about the principle. Okay, so the principle is the underlying problem. We can talk about it in a different way. We've been talking about trees already. He moved from talking about the fruit to talking about the root. And we have a picture of a tree here. So the sin can be the fruit, if you like, but the root, where does the root come from? You see, Jesus Christ not only died for our sins, but he also died unto sin. And here's the thing. If you've come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, then you too have died to sin, singular. Do you begin to see where we're going? So in the first three, uh, or rather Romans chapters 3 to 5, and then if we compare them to 6 to 8, there are certain things that help us to understand what's going on here. So Romans 3 to 5, substitution it talks about. In other words, Jesus died for me. So that's the substitutionary death of the Lord Jesus Christ. But when we look at Romans 6 to 8, we discover there is the identification that you have identified yourself with him as you've come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And what that means is this, I died with him. So Jesus has died for you, you have died with him. Three to five, he died for my sins. Six to eight, he died unto sin. Three to five, he paid sin's penalty. And the amazing thing is this, six to eight, he broke the power of sin in our life. You noticed how powerful sin is. It ruins people. It destroys them. It destroys families. It destroys marriages. It destroys communities. And yet, people seem to revel in it. Deep down, they know what it is. But it comes in and it destroys. Now, in Jesus, the power of sin has been broken. Justification and sanctification, the result is the same righteousness. In other words, justification by faith is not simply a legal matter between me and God. It is a living relationship. Now, sometimes people will say to me, let's talk about doctrine. Well, doctrine's always great to talk about, isn't it? But why don't we talk about relationship? Why don't we actually talk about what it means to know Jesus personally? Now, when you change the subject and go in that direction, people who have got all their ducks in a row when it comes to doctrine suddenly get cold feet because the relationship isn't there. They can know everything about God. They can have this wonderful head knowledge. They can have all the doctrines you know, laid out in a tea, written in a big book that they keep handy in their back pocket or wherever it is. But when it comes to relationship... They're struggling. 
Because justification by faith is not simply a legal matter between me and God. It is a living relationship. It is a justification which brings life. So when we turn to verse 18 of chapter 5 of Romans, Therefore, as through one man's offense judgment came, in to, came to all men, resulting in condemnation, even so through one man's righteous act, what happened? The free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. I am in Christ. I am identified with him. And what that means is what you've seen, that what happened to Jesus has happened to me. And that's why I said perhaps we should, instead of say, this is your certificate of baptism, it's your death certificate. Now, there's not many people that have read their own death certificates. But in a sense, that's what's taken place this morning. Because they've died. There is a death that's involved. They have died to the old way of living, to the old life, to the world and to the system that we see. And if you've got time, please read Ephesians 2, verses 1 to 10. I am now seated with him in the heavenlies, in heaven. Because this incredible exchange has taken place. God, through Jesus, has taken my sin. And Jesus has given me his righteousness. Now, from my perspective, that is an incredibly wonderful, wonderful experience to have taken place. I've got rid of my sin. And I've taken his righteousness. And we rejoice in that completely. And because of this living union with Christ, the believer has a totally new relationship to sin. And this is important. But it all begins with death. I want to remind you that we're not talking about resuscitation here. The patient has died. I've told you this story before, but I'm reminded of it again. I had a phone call from my brother. Dad's really ill. He's only been given a few hours to live. Uh, he'd been taken in to uh, uh, have a, a CT scan and they laid him on his back and he'd, he'd always said, don't lay me on my back. Um, he was quite a large chap. And uh, whilst he's in the machine, his heart stops. He'd signed all the do not resuscitate letters and everything, but uh, they did resuscitate him and he was back on the ward. And when I got there after uh, about, well, an eight-hour flight and all the rest of it, I get into the hospital and I'm greeted by the doctor. This was about midnight. And he immediately apologizes and said, I'm so sorry we resuscitated him. He'd signed the documents not to. And it's our mistake. And here's the form if you want to sue the hospital. And I thought that's a bit forward. But anyway, that's what happened. So I go into the, the ward and my brother is on one side. Dad's there. Uh, the doctor tells me that he's only been given air, not oxygen, because he didn't want to be resuscitated. So approximately three in the morning, uh, we'd both nodded off a little bit. Dad wakes up and says, hello, boys, what are you doing here? <laughs> okay. You see, my father had not died. All intents and purposes, they said he was going to. But he had another two or three years after that. Because we're all immortal until God chooses and takes us to be with him. So none of you got to fear death here. 
All of you are immortal. Those of you who have come to faith in the Lord Jesus are immortal until God chooses, God takes you. And so we're not talking about resuscitation. You see, if you're a pretend Christian, then what's happened is you never died. All you're doing is pretending to be a Christian. But without the death, there is no new birth. Do you see how important it is? Christ is both our Savior and our role model. Paul has revealed in this chapter that when we put our faith in him for our salvation from sin, we have to experience a spiritual death with him. Spiritually speaking, we died, were buried, and were then resurrected to a new spiritual life. And that's why what we have talked about this morning is so important. Without death, death to our old life, then we cannot be resurrected. We cannot be raised to a new life. So as I said, there are some people that are pretending. Some of you may even be here this morning and you're thinking to yourself, well, I don't really want to go through this. this. It sounds terrible. You know, I'm quite happy with parts of my old life. You know, let's face it, it's fun. That's not what God says. We have to die to be born again. You see, for those who are baptized today, they are showing in a dramatic way what Christ has done for them and what happened to them. And they are saying that they have died to this world. So in a sense, this morning, we've all come to a funeral service. But it's one that is full of joy because it shows what Jesus has done for us. Paul is showing in Christ's example what will happen for us. Christ died to sin. Of course, he did not die to his own sin, for Christ never sinned. Hebrews 4.15 explains that very clearly. He died to pay for the sins of all those who trust in him. And the other thing that's important for us to remember is that Jesus died once, once for all. He doesn't have to die again. Now, this in itself should cause some of us to be really worried here this morning because, you see, God has done everything that is needed and now we just wait for his return through Jesus Christ. There is nothing more that's needed. And here's the other thing. There's nothing more we can do. It's all been done for us. And we have to rejoice in that. He died once for all. It was a one-time payment for the sins of others, including past, present, and future sins. Christ does not need to go back to the cross every time someone sins again. He's finished the job of dying for the sins of humanity. It's over. Except now, you need to call out for your salvation. You need to see your death, your burial, and your resurrection. Now this means because what happened to Jesus has happened to us, sin is dealt with in our lives in exactly the same way. But you say to me, I still sin. Let me say it again. Sin has been dealt with. Sin singular. Yes, there are still things that we do and things that we think and things that we say which are sinful, because our human nature still desperately wants to come through. But sin is dealt with in our lives. 
Now, somebody might be here this morning, and uh, when you were 8 or 9 or 12 or 15 or 18 or 22 or something, you too were baptized. Maybe a church similar to this one. And you remember standing up at the front and giving your testimony, and you remember declaring everything that Christ had done for you. And you made the statement, I'm going to live for Jesus. And when the pastor asked you before, you were buried in the water. And he said, is this going to be the beginning of something that will last the whole of your life? And you said, yes. And today you've come along because you heard that perhaps a relative or a friend was being baptized. And then you think back to that time when you were, and you realize that in the last 30 years, you may have been to church half a dozen times. You may have walked away from the Savior. You may have thought to yourself, there's more exciting things to do on a Sunday. You may have thought to yourself, in my life, I'm really not interested in, 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 in this passionate evangelical faith that people talk about. Well, you see, the problem you've got is this. You never died. You might have said you did, but you didn't. You might have been at a pretty low ebb and you needed resuscitating in that sense, but the resuscitation isn't what was required. You needed to die. Because sin hasn't been dealt with in your life and it keeps rearing up and it keeps coming to the forefront and it keeps taking your eye off Jesus. And Satan comes along and he plants things in your life and in your mind to take your attention away from the Savior. We have to die to sin. Sin no longer has dominion over us. This doesn't mean that we are not sinless. But it means this, we sin less. Does that make sense? And we've been speaking about our Bible study. Those of you who have been able to come along, haven't we made the point that, that we don't habitually continue to sin? One of the evidences of our salvation is the fact that when we do wrong, we know it's wrong. When we say things, we know it's wrong that we shouldn't say. We know that we shouldn't say them. And we come before God and we pray and we plead with him to work miracles in our lives and to change us. Romans 6 verse 13, present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead. Whoa. Now, now we're, we're talking, aren't we? Let me say it again. Present yourselves to God as those, as, as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. So you see, there it is again. God's word is clear. You have to die. And if you haven't died to sin to your old life, I plead with you to understand what this means to come to faith in the Lord Jesus. Now, that Christ is resurrected, he lives again to God. In other words, Christ's continued purpose is to live, to keep living as God and for God's glory forever. And he has no other agenda but to bring glory to his Father. And our new lives in Christ, with Christ, therefore are headed in the same direction. We should have no other agenda either. So what does the believer's new relationship with sin look like? Well, you can't see the color change very easily on this slide. Dead to sin, alive to Christ. Now, Enley's too young to be a heavy drinker. Well, we can check that out with her mum later. 
but I, I don't believe uh, Enley's known for a drinking problem. I don't think Serena has a drinking problem either, but I want you just to imagine, and sadly there are people that do have massive problems with alcohol, and I acknowledge that. And I say, and I use this example graciously and gently, but I want you to try and imagine a man who drank heavily all his life dies. Heart stops. He's dead. Do you realize that he's now free from the problem of alcohol? You ever thought about it that way before? You see, before, when he saw a bottle with Jack Daniels written on the outside, something inside him said, I want it. And he would grab it. And he would take it. In fact, he's got hidden around the house a couple of dozen bottles. And he knows where they are. He might forget everything else, but he doesn't forget their location. But now he's dead. He can't see them. The smell of alcohol. You know, if you meet someone who's been drinking heavily and the smell of alcohol, you think, whoa. But you see, now, whereas before he would smell it and crave it, he's dead. Can't smell it. The desire's taken away. And then there's the taste. The momentary burn at the back of the throat. But he's dead. He can't taste anything. And friends, if we die to sin, we begin to see the parallels. Sin should have no more a desire and a hold over us because we die to sin. I call them betweeners. Okay, we're not talking about between teenagers and Adults. I don't know why Anna's laughing there. Are you a betweener or what? We'll, we'll talk about it later. <laughs> but there are too many Christians who are betweeners. Do you know what a betweener is? They're those that live between Egypt and Canaan. They're still ambling around in the wilderness. Lost. Uh, they're the people that uh, are saved but never satisfied. They live between Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Yes, believing in the cross, but never entering into the power and the glory of the resurrection. Romans 6.5 indicates that our union with Christ assures our future resurrection should we die. But go back to Romans 6 verse 4 and it teaches us that we share his resurrection power today. You see, we're not weak. We're not feeble. Sometimes that's how people sum us up as Christians. But we have the power of the risen Savior living within us. That's how we can cope with a world which hates Christ. And here's the thing. The scriptures tell us that it's not actually us they hate. It's him. It's Jesus. So as we walk around our town at the moment, we see lots of things which 
you know, not easy to take. Um, there's some rumours going around that they want to put some flags on our sign down there and they want us to have our sign taken away because it's on property that's owned by Bell. But we've had permission to put it there, but they want to try and change that. But we have power. And that power is the risen Savior living within us. And it doesn't matter what they say or what anybody says. It doesn't matter what the world throws at us. It doesn't matter what is presented to us. Because we know that our Redeemer lives. And we rejoice in him. And nothing and nobody can take that away from us. And Enli, you know, you're eight. You haven't had a lot of time to, to do all the things that the rest of us have managed to do. And I pray with all my heart that you will never want that opportunity. And Serena, you too, you've got the opportunity as a young person to be able to make that declaration for him. And we rejoice in that. So friends, it's all about death. Jesus died. And we died with him. He was buried and we were buried. And we leave our sin buried. As Corrie Ten Boom said, and I've said it a few times, but it's such a beautiful picture. Uh, in one of the Psalms, God says he takes our sin and he drops it in the deepest sea. And she adds this bit. And there's a sign floating at the top that says no fishing. Because we leave it buried. So if anyone's suffering here this morning, you know that you've got to sort some things out. I'm sorry to say this, but you've got to die first. And then you're raised to life. And that's what we saw taking place in the baptistry. Uh, I think, okay, new life in Christ. Okay, do you, do you ever get, uh, when you're using a computer sometimes, I get this, and it says follow on screen instructions. Do you ever see that? Okay, right. So I want you to follow the on, on screen instructions. Look to your right. Has, has everyone managed to do that? Okay, that's this hand, <laughs> just in case. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8.1. Do you see it? In Jesus, we have no condemnation. Can we all say hallelujah? Hallelujah.